Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, November 11th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Donald Trump and his allies are continuing to push false claims about an unfair presidential election. And Lyft has taken a look at its competitors' delivery food models. Now, all of a sudden, the ride-sharing company has a hankering for takeout, too. Plus, some big potential changes at SoftBank, and European shopkeepers go on the warpath over coronavirus lockdowns. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. American President-elect Joe Biden is getting ready for Inauguration Day, but there's no sign Republicans are backing off their support for Donald Trump. The U.S. president has filed lawsuits and alleged without real evidence the 2020 election was rigged against him. Courts have largely rejected the claims, but members of the president's own Republican Party have stood by Trump's accusations. Attorney General Bill Barr will allow the Department of Justice to investigate voter fraud before the election is settled. Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell hasn't acknowledged Biden as the winner. And Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said this on Tuesday. There will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. Regardless, Joe Biden is continuing to prepare to occupy the White House in January when Trump's term ends. He's expected to appoint cabinet members soon and yesterday said that Trump's unwillingness to concede was embarrassing and that it will affect the president's legacy. But I think at the end of the day, it's all going to come to fruition on January 20th. And between now and then, my hope and expectation is that the American people are do know, do understand that there has been a transition. Lyft has been hit hard by the pandemic, but its financial situation is improving. The company reported its third quarter earnings yesterday. Lyft said it had 40% more riders in the third quarter than it did during the height of the pandemic, but it's still down 22 million riders from the same period last year. It posted $500 million in revenue in the quarter. Again, an improvement, but still down almost 50% year-on-year. Losses were worse than what analysts had predicted. So, Lyft is following its competitors by playing up pandemic delivery services. Uber's had a pretty strong performance from its food delivery service, Uber Eats, and Lyft said it's in the early days of building a delivery business of its own. Lyft co-founder and president John Zimmer spoke during yesterday's call with investors. He said the company's small-scale efforts to deliver essential goods during the pandemic put Lyft in contact with retailers, and those retailers are looking for better terms on delivery. Zimmer added that the offering would provide logistics only instead of a marketplace stuck between customers and food. Lyft shares jumped 6% in after-hours trading yesterday. The FT has learned that SoftBank has been discussing whether to relocate its $100 billion Vision Fund unit. It would go from the UK to Abu Dhabi. The possible move seems to be partly for tax reasons, but also because it would bring the fund closer to one of its main backers in Abu Dhabi. Kana Inagaki, our Tokyo correspondent, explains that this all comes in a week when founder Masayoshi-san announced a board shakeup and the Japanese group reported mixed results for the latest quarter. SoftBank made a surprise announcement this week that it will remove three senior executives from its board, including Rajiv Mizura, who runs the Vision Fund, and Marcelo Claule, who is the chief operating officer at the company. They're basically going to maintain their day-to-day responsibilities, but the board will have heavier weight of the non-executive directors, which should result in stronger oversight from these external directors over decisions that founder Masayoshi Son makes. So, Kana, how were SoftBank's earnings in the latest quarter? 
For the July to September quarter, we saw a recovery in the $100 billion vision fund that SoftBank runs, with its bets on technology startups delivering a $7.6 billion profit. We also saw that the Vision Fund 2, which is a much smaller SQL fund, did very well. And this was thanks mainly to a successful IPO in the U.S. of a Chinese online property site called Beike. So this all sounds like everything is going well at SoftBank, but underscoring the complexity of its investment strategy, the company also reported a $1.3 billion loss for the quarter from its trading in large listed U.S. tech stocks such as Amazon and Facebook. If you remember, we reported in September that SoftBank was the Nasdaq whale behind the purchase of large U.S. equity derivatives that stoked a rally in the big U.S. tech stocks. And so this was really the first time we actually heard from SoftBank what the performance of these trades were. So going forward, we're likely to see big ups and downs related to these bets on highly liquid stocks. So in general, the results this week were positive with the turnaround in the Vision Fund, and also the board changes also bode well for the company's governance structure, which has long been a concern for investors. But you know, if we look at this potential move to Abu Dhabi of the unit that manages the Vision Fund, and also if we look at the volatility in the trades related to the U.S. tech stocks, there is still a lot of uncertainty surrounding SoftBank that makes investors nervous. And that's also one of the reasons why SoftBank share price continues to trade at a discount to the value of its holdings. The European Union hit Amazon with antitrust charges yesterday. The EU's Competition Commission targeted two sets of concerns. One, that Amazon is using non-public data it collects on sales on its website, and then uses that data to boost its own label products and services. And two, the EU is investigating whether Amazon gave preferential treatment to its own products and to sellers who paid extra for Amazon's logistics and delivery services. Amazon's associate general counsel testified to the U.S. Congress this year and said the retailer did not use the individual data about sellers on its platform when they're making decisions to launch private brands. The charges are related to Amazon's treatment of 150,000 European merchants selling goods on the site. But the company's been pretty unpopular with small shop owners in Europe, too. With the latest European lockdowns, small traders have become increasingly vocal about what they see as unfair competition from supermarkets and online retailers like Amazon. Large food chains and e-commerce groups have been able to continue to operate and have even benefited from the restrictions, while smaller local businesses have had to suspend their services. Leila Boot has been listening to some of their complaints, and she's on the line with me now. Leila, we just heard the sound of restaurant workers in Rome protesting against the latest lockdown. Does this represent the kind of anger felt by small traders across Europe? Yes. I mean, the second round of lockdowns have been greeted with sort of just, I think, more frustration, not only by the population, but also sort of small business owners of all types. The restrictions on life and business are pretty different in each country, with some like France and Belgium doing very drastic closures where there's almost nothing open except for essential retail. And then other countries like Germany, where the, the epidemic is a little bit less severe and more things are open. But I think, yeah, I think it is fair to say that, you know, business owners are complaining more this time than the first time when perhaps we were more in a moment of kind of fear and panic back in March and April. And, w- and what are they asking governments to do to help them get through this second lockdown? 
Well, I'd just say, if you take the French example, they have this thing called hypermarkets. They're basically like big box retailers that sell a little bit of everything. So they do food, fresh food, packaged food, but also like children's clothing, books, toys. It's kind of like a everything in one place store. And since those can stay open, the small traders, such as like a, a small toy shop or a bookshop, an independent, sort of feels as if it's completely unfair because they can't keep their individual stores open, but their, you know, down the road big box retailer can sell all the stuff that they sell and remain open during the lockdown. And then there's another elephant in the room, which is just how e-commerce has been able to continue functioning. How are governments responding? Have, have they responded? Governments in France, uh, Ireland and Wales have actually done something which is a bit counterintuitive, which is basically instead of allowing the small businesses to reopen, they're basically forcing the big guys who are allowed to remain open to close down the aisles of their stores that sell items that are deemed as non-essential. It's just a bit absurd and shows you kind of the strange lengths that governments are doing now to try and supposedly keep things fair, but in reality, it just sort of makes consumers' lives a bit harder. And of course, Leila, the big beneficiary of this would likely be Amazon, right? Yeah, I mean, the online retailers are really benefiting. It's not just Amazon, even the the local guys, like Fnacadati is a local electronics shop. They've done really well. And the big food retailers are also selling a lot online. Let's talk about scale a little bit. How much of a bedrock of the economy are these small traders that are being so hard hit by the lockdowns? They're very important uh, in most countries in Europe. It's just that, unfortunately, in the way that the business media, including the FT, covers the economy, we oftentimes focus, we usually focus on the biggest companies, the publicly traded ones. But, you know, in most of Europe, the companies that actually employ the most people are ones with, you know, 10 employees, five employees, up to 50 employees. This is the bedrock of the economy. Um, and in response, a lot of the countries that are closing again are, are, are expanding their aid programs. In France, they've definitely done that. So it's not as if they're leaving them alone to suffer. But, you know, they'll tell you that the only thing they want is to be able to open. And they don't really want government aid. They want to just be able to work. So, Leila, from your own observations, do these smaller traders actually stand a chance of surviving this? I think it really depends on the sector they're in, the sort of expertise of their managers, also just like the, the guts that these guys are going to have. If you're an individual trader and you're running a small store, uh, and you have debt on it. I mean, there's a certain point where you may just decide, like, I have to close. In Paris, you can already see it on the sort of fabric of the city. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of small businesses that, that don't make it through this period. And, and that's why I think they're howling um, at these second round of closures. Lila Aboud is our Paris business correspondent. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.